Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Um, And I'm going to lift up a couple of international headlines to make you aware of today. Because these are um, places of what I would describe as urgent, urgent concern. Uh, And so let's be praying today, recognizing that God has the whole world in his hands. And when we talk about people who are concerned about the welfare of human beings around the world, um, places where there are wars and where governments are openly attacking their own people. Um, I just want to be lifting these up. There's active genocides in at least a half a dozen places around the world. Um, So let's be mindful today of the whole world and the 8 billion people who inhabit it, um, and let's be let's be raising up prayers of concerns for each and all today. So in Sudan, mindful that Sudan and South Sudan are two different countries. So when we're talking about Sudan, we're talking about what used to be the northern portion um, of of Sudan, and now is the country of Sudan distinct from South Sudan, and that's important because South Sudan is overwhelmingly Christian. And that is not the country we're talking about. That's not the country in view right now in this conversation. So in Sudan, explosions um, have been rocking the capital of Khartoum and now eight other cities across the country. So we're now in the third day of fighting between Sudanese army and and a paramilitary group called the Rapid Support Forces, that the RSF. So these are the military, and an equally well-equipped paramilitary group. Um, Some 97 civilians have already died in the first just two and a half days of this fighting. Um, Hospitals throughout the country are already at capacity. The Red Crescent and the UN are prioritizing evacuations from these nine different cities as aerial assault. We're talking about MiG fighter jets shooting into civilian communities, um, as well as heavy street fighting, not just in the Sudanese capital of Khartoum, but in eight other cities across the country of Sudan. The United States Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, um, has joined regional efforts to pressure these warring sides to end the fighting and return to a negotiating table. Um, I think that is unlikely. What we're talking about here are the two men and their rival factions, which joined forces in 2021 to orchestrate a military coup and disrupt um, the democratic uh, process in Sudan. So these two former generals are now warring with each other and killing the civilian population 
between them to achieve their um, personal ends. And so we need we want to be lifting up the people of Sudan and what it must feel like to be utterly powerless in um, in the midst of such chaos. Just awful. So traveling west from Sudan, you pass over the nation of Chad and you arrive in the nation of Nigeria. In the first hundred days of 2023, more than 1,040 Christians have been murdered or disappeared at the hands of Fulani herdsmen in that country. Um, and the numbers that we now have for 2022 are just heartbreaking and staggering. Um, so remember, nearly 50% of the population in Nigeria is Christian. They are the ones under attack. Last year, in 2022, um, the number of Nigerian Christians killed was more than 5,000. Another 3,000 kidnapped and brutalized. Most of them disappeared, still uh, missing and unaccounted for. So the word genocide is openly being used by some religious freedom advocates, um, but it's a slow-moving genocide that's been going on for more than a decade. And uh, more than 3 million of our Christian brothers and sisters have been forcibly removed um, or forcibly displaced. That's probably a better word. Forcibly displaced from the central part of Nigeria. So we'll be lifting that up as well. In the city of Chicago here in the United States, um, hundreds of teenagers stormed the streets of downtown Chicago, smashing car windows, attacking bystanders, including tourists, sending panicked people running from the sound of gunfire. Um, and so we want to be praying that a restoration of order would come um, in downtown Chicago, where the Democrats are planning on holding their national uh, convention uh, this year. Yeah. So that's going on. All right. Alan Noble is going to join us next. Let me just say, this is um this is a, like a really honest, really honest book. And it's about getting out of bed. Why not get out of bed? And then why get out of bed? And then if you're having a hard time getting out of bed, how how as Christians do we we get out of bed in the midst of a world so contrary to the gospel? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Alan Noble is joining us now. The book is on getting out of bed, the burden and gift of living. Alan, welcome back. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. All right. Let's start with this. Why not get out of bed? Well, the modern world is overwhelming and exhausting, and we're tired. Um, There's all kinds of pressures on us to perform, to be excellent, to be uh, projecting our identities, and that overwhelms us and gets us to the place where it's difficult to face the day. And and it's growing. Um, So I'd love for you to talk about the subtitle, because there is this burden of living, which we just described in the sort of why not get out of bed, but there's also the gift of living, which is the motivating factor for getting out of bed. So can you talk just about the subtitle and suss that out a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so the burden uh, of, of living is in part living with suffering, which everyone faces, but um, 
part of the gift of living is that we get to be a witness to other people of the goodness of this life. Um, and that's a blessing. This life is a gift from a loving God who cares for us and knows us intimately. And we can forget that very easily. Um, but uh, this book, in part, reminds us that uh, life is fundamentally a gift. When you talk about um, the gift of life and when you wrestle in this book um, with not just the why live question, um, mm-hmm. but the why live well, like the, the, the living of life as a gift, um, you do spend a, a lot of time sort of talking about the primary witness of my life and how I'm living my life. Um, the primary witness of that before others. Can you can you draw that out a little bit more? Because I think that if I if I recognize that getting out of bed, putting one foot in front of the other, um, in the midst of whatever suffering or mental health challenge I'm facing um, in my own life, if I can come to recognize that there's actually this witness to others in my getting out of bed. There's a different kind of motivation than just my own fatigue and, you know, desire to pull the drapes and go back to sleep. And this this fits in, and I think is it's touched on by the subtitle as well. Um, I didn't ask to be my brother's keeper, but but I am. Um, when I face suffering, other people are watching. My loved ones are watching. My friends are watching. Strangers are watching. They're watching to see how I will respond and if I will respond in a way that um, gives them hope or gives them despair. And the burden part is that um, we are being watched and we don't have the luxury of just saying, well, uh, my suffering is so great that uh, all I can do is think about myself. Um, we have to recognize that other people are, are, we are bearing witness to other people about what the meaning of life is by the way we act. But the flip side, part of the gift is that it's, it gives us purpose. When you recognize that bearing with your suffering um, encourages others, it gives hope to your suffering. It gives hope to you. Uh, You can see that you are doing something good and meaningful and true when you get out of bed each day. You are doing something meaningful and good when you get out of bed every day. We're going to continue um, talking with Alan Noble about his new book, On Getting Out of Bed. And yes, we are giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Why did you get out of bed today? Are you out of bed yet? It's possible you're just listening to us lying in bed. We're going to encourage you to um, confront the realities of the pervasive, invisible struggles and suffering that we all confront. Um, And we're going to have an encouraging conversation about um, when we get out of bed, like, what do we do? How do we look outward Um, toward others and the ministry that God has given us in the living of these days. 
So continuing our conversation with Alan Noble here on Mornings with Carmen in just a moment. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're continuing our conversation with Alan Noble. The book is On Getting Out of Bed, The Burden and Gift of Living. We are giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Alan, sometimes the cause of our despair can be really difficult for people around us to understand. Um, Maybe we could talk about not only the challenge of getting out of bed when we are suffering in ways that are invisible to others. But we could also talk about how, um, if we were in relationship with a person who is suffering in those ways, like how to respond to that. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most important things is to be an advocate for that person. Um, When you get into a period of despair, you can feel like there's no way out and that it's not even worth trying to get out, that there's not really a possibility of getting better. And while I do want to caution that a lot of mental illnesses don't have cures in the same ways we have, you know, a cure for many diseases today, um, we can get significant healing and, and help. We can end, we can ameliorate the uh, the disorders and illnesses quite a bit through professional help, and so the, I think the first thing to note is, you know, being an advocate for them, encouraging them to seek professional psychiatric and psychological uh, therapies, uh, so that they can use the resources that we have created, which is great, and it's a blessing from God. The second thing I think is just being with people. Um, Mental illness um, in particular uh, is very alienating. You feel like you are alone in the world and that there aren't other people around you who understand or who can be with you. And so making an active effort to be with someone uh, can be a huge blessing in their lives. Um, Alan, um, is it fair to say that uh, once you've once you've written a book, right, and it's actually gone through the process of editing and publishing, like, you've probably moved on to thinking about other things. So I'm kind of curious, what's Alan Noble actually, like, thinking about right now? What are you working on? What's sort of the next conversation you're already intrigued by and and noodling through? Yeah, so the next book... Um... I don't know what the tentative title yet is, but the next book is going to be on uh, practical advice for particularly for young people who are struggling in a world that is chaotic, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, It'll be using the seven virtues, the cardinal and um, the religious virtues to help 
young people think through what does it mean to pursue justice? What does it mean to desire love? What does it mean to hope, to have faith, uh, to be prudent, uh, and so on? Um, so that's, that's the next project that's on the horizon. I'm working on it right now. Yeah, I, I just always think that it's helpful for um, those of us who, oh, we just got our hands on this book. We're, we're just unpacking this. It's always helpful to remember that the author um, thought about this more than a year ago. Like the, the things that you're helping us think about today, you've been thinking about for a long period of time. Um, right. In fact, the thinking about the book related to getting out of bed really came up for you in editing a book prior to that, right? I mean, like there's this unfolding way that God continues to bring forward um, things that you are inspired to help us address. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I was editing my previous book, and I had written an essay called On Living, which you can still find on Medium if you Google it. Um, and that formed the basis of this, uh, of this book. And um, I had already written that essay, and people were contacting me saying that it was the best thing I had written, and it had encouraged them and blessed them and helped them through a very difficult time. And um, that inspired me to turn this into a book, to expand it and turn it into a book, which I I hope is equally helpful to people. Um, Alan, when when you think about you know, just in your own in your own life, um, challenges that you've had related to this. I mean, every book grows at some level out of our own lived experience. I'm wondering if there is just a simple action that you might encourage the person who's listening right now who they they need encouragement to take one like concrete rational act. Um, so getting out of our heads and advocating for a very simple, modest action, literally getting out of bed, literally moving. I wonder if you could just make yeah. that appeal. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, figuratively, the language of the book it describes getting out of bed. It also describes taking, doing the next right thing. Um, both of those actions, I think, are, are important. Um, and that can be as simple as, literally getting out of bed and making breakfast and getting dressed and showering and going through these steps, which, and when you're in a period of darkness, those things can seem overwhelming and difficult. Um, the other thing I would say is, um, seek help, um, not only professional help, um, and not only pastoral help, but contact a friend and share your burden. Um, we can get to a place where we feel like, well, I've just got to figure this out on my own, or I don't want to burden anyone else with my problems. But loving one another and bearing each other's burdens is one of the most blessed things that we can do in this life. It's a beautiful act of grace, and it and it it's it's wonderful. It's one of the ways that God's body works on earth. And so, one practical step I would say is reaching out to a friend and talking. Concrete, take a concrete, tangible act. Get out of bed. Simple step: brush your teeth, brush your hair, take a shower, make breakfast. Something. I don't. And you don't have to do them all. I mean, I. You don't have to do them all. Do one of them. Um, take one modest, simple action. 
and start by literally getting out of bed. I might recommend you then strip the bed and wash the sheets because that will move your temptation to get back into the bed off at least a few hours um, while you're while you're washing the bed linens. So um, just an encouragement this morning is it's not about technique, um, but there are some very simple, tangible acts that we can take to move ourselves forward positively when we're feeling very, very overcome by um, by invisible struggles and um, and things that make us genuinely depressed and tempt us to not get out of bed. So the book is Getting Out of Bed, The Burden and Gift of Living. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a very brief uh, break now for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. Well, I'm wondering if you live in the city limits of Minneapolis, um, have you heard um, have you heard the Muslim call to prayer uh, now five times throughout the 24 hour cycle year round? Well, it's going to it's been approved to um, be broadcast year round um, five times a day. The Minneapolis City Council unanimously agreed during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan to amend the city's noise noise ordinance, which had prevented the dawn and late evening calls at certain times of the year due to noise restrictions. Those have been lifted. Um, And so um, that will be uh, that will be an interesting change in um, pattern in America's largest city to date um, to approve this. So uh, just an an interesting observation as we recognize that we live in a pluralistic culture and that some cities across the country, including Minneapolis, have large and growing Muslim populations. So the Twin Cities actually boasts a uh, nearly 3 million people and nearly 200,000 uh, people who are practitioners of Islam. And so um, it's a steadily growing po- portion of the population of the city of Minneapolis and, and certainly across the country as well. So um, interested to know if that's something that you're hearing, something that you have heard, um, something that maybe surprised you when you were visiting the Twin Cities, uh, the Muslim call to prayer. John Inazu is going to join us next. He is a professor of law and religion at Washington University in St. Louis. He um, he talks about a range of topics and issues at the intersection of religion and politics here in the United States of America. So we're going to talk about the decline of Protestants in terms of people across the country who profess to be Protestant Christians and the rise of the nuns. It's not just important Um, We're going to talk about actually like what it means for where we're headed. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is a new day. Everything's bursting with hope. Coming alive. John Inazu is joining us now. He's a professor of law and religion at Washington University in St. Louis. John, welcome back. Armin, thanks for having me. Good to be back again. It's been entirely too long since we've spoken. 
<laughs> right. Okay. So um, you um, you have a great piece. Well, several things that are posted right now on your Substack. I want to direct people's attention to. I'd like to start with this conversation about the decline of Protestants, specifically the decline of white Protestantism or mainline Christianity, the rise of the nuns. Um, I mean, we know the statistics on this, um, but what does it mean and where are we headed? I'd love for you to point out those trend lines. Yeah, so a couple of things. And I was I was writing about a, a recent Wall Street Journal poll that was showing plummeting numbers in terms of uh, Americans who, who viewed certain values as important. And those included patriotism, religion, having children and community involvement. And in some ways, I think that the journal poll probably overstated the decline because the methodology moved from phone calls. Remember, remember when people called you on the phone for polls to, mm-hmm. to online polls, and that probably has some some meaningful impact on the poll. But but it is the case, and there are lots of other studies to show that we we have a, a declining religious population and a correlative rise in those who are either non-believers or agnostics or, in some senses spiritual but non-religious and and so i think a couple of observations out of that that decline one is that there is a serious question about institutions when when we had more religious people around denominations around religious practices we had institutions that built hospitals and schools and social service organizations and it's it's very hard to know where those go without without groups that are sustained over time and and religious groups do that very well so that's one thing. And then I think another thing maybe pointing in a different direction is this decline to me doesn't seem like it's headed toward extinction. Uh, so there are, you know, there, there are drops in the numbers of Protestants and, and other religious believers, but we're not going to zero. And that makes a, a big difference in the politics of the next few decades to come. When um, when you point to the decline of institutions, um, we are we are talking for many people who are listening right now. They would absolutely recognize that in their own communities, in their own towns and cities and states, um, there are fewer people or fewer expressions because the churches have actually closed of, let's say, Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian um, congregational churches. When we talk about institutional Protestantism, mainline Christianity, that's what we're talking about. I, mm. I've been, I mean, because that's my heritage, um, and now I would describe myself as an evangelical Christian. I worship at a Southern Baptist church. Um, like I look at the decline of mainline Christianity and I say, you can only undermine your own foundations for so long until your institution collapses. And so we talk about undermining the Bible as the word of God, or we talk about undermining a biblical ethic related to identity and sexuality and marriage. We talk about undermining the foundations of an institution like they don't they can't stand anymore because they've they've undermined themselves. Um, I'm wondering if from your perspective at this you know intersection of religion and politics and law and who we are as a people, like, do you see that? Well, I think. Um... You know, the, I think the reasons for decline, decline are complex, and, and a lot of the polling data is suggesting that many evangelical churches are also declining and, and, and changing mm-hmm. beliefs around especially younger populations. So I, I think without sort of positing the reasons for the decline, it's just a fact of the world that if you drive down you know, the street of any major city, 
and look at the big, enormous church buildings that were built in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s that used to see thousands of people. And, you know, on any given Sunday, their congregations might have a few dozen folks or maybe a couple of hundred folks. And that's that's not sustainable over time. I mean, even mm-hmm. even as a matter of stewardship, if you have a congregation of 40 in a building that seats 2,000, you, you probably have to come up with a different plan. But there are some significant ripple effects from those kinds of demographic changes. And, and one of them is that those buildings and those resources for generations have provided structure and infrastructure for, for cities and people doing community life together. And, and as we see these churches close or be repurposed, I think we're finding that not only Christians, but lots of other people are realizing, oh, where do we go to vote today? Or who runs the aftercare program? Or what happens when when homeless people need need meals? And uh, the the assumption that government will step in and provide all of this hasn't borne out in a lot of our cities. And so I think the decline in the closure affects both Christians and non-Christians alike. Oh, that's really, that is a really helpful observation. That's, um, that's a wonderful way of, of framing that. Hey, if you're listening right now, um, what difference would it make if another church disappeared from your city center? What difference would it make if um, those expressions of mainline Christianity uh, closed in the next year or two? Um, and what might it look like to reinvest in those places of worship, in those institutional structures within the community, even if it's not your preferred um, way of uh, of identifying in terms of a person of faith in the world today? Like, what might that look like for churches to support one another and Christians to support the the place of churches in a community, even if it's not your preferred, um, you know, self-identifier? That might be one way to think about it. Um, John, I'd love to pivot to a conversation about something else that you have written and again, we're talking with John Inazu, and these um, these articles are posted on his Substack. So John Inazu, I-N-A-Z-U dot Substack dot com. If you um, aren't familiar with Substack, it is a great place to go online to read what um, people are writing that's not necessarily, you know, published somewhere like the Wall Street Journal. So there you go. You can go read what John is writing on a regular basis on his Substack. So we're going to talk next with John about how evangelicalism is failing women. Um, So that topic is up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Are you evangelical? Are you a woman? Do you feel like evangelicalism is failing you? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy All right, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. We're talking with John Inazu about a number of things he's written of late. John, let's turn our attention to, well, this, um, this zesty topic, how evangelicalism <laughs> is failing women. Um, you're noting a recent departure of several high-profile women from conservative evangelicalism um, and how that ought to be a, a wake-up call, but if so, of what kind. So, um, so frame this conversation for us. What are we talking about? And then what are you um, what are you pointing to in terms of um, what we might do in response? Sure. So I, I sort of started the piece by by uh, reminding people that my, my core scholarship around the right of assembly and association has, has very strong protections for 
private groups to do what they want. So if the Catholic Church wants to limit its priesthood to men, or a conservative evangelical church wants to have gender distinctions, I think that's not only important to honor, but also important to protect. And and so the, the concern I'm pointing out in this piece is that for those groups, those evangelical groups especially, that choose to make gender distinctions, maybe they won't have women elders or women reading scripture or preaching or those sorts of, of views, that those churches and organizations tend to even further restrict women. So in, in other words, even outside of their theological convictions, there are opportunities denied to women to serve on boards, to serve in leadership roles that don't violate theological tendencies. And I kind of sort of raised this after seeing it all around me and also hearing from friends across the nation who've, who've struggled with this. And so there has to be something more going on than theology in terms of the outcomes for women in many of these organizations. And then at the end of the day, this hurts not only women, but also the organizations themselves. Um, so Beth Moore would be a recognizable name. Um, and and here for us, Karen Swallow Pryor is certainly a recognizable name because she has been a guest on this program a number of times um, during her tenure at a couple of different institutions of, uh, you know, of higher learning among Christian higher ed, um, both Karen Swallow Pryor and Beth Moore have um, made, you know, public their departure from um, particularly Southern Baptist institutions. And um, and I guess I'm also thinking about the way in which the Southern Baptist Convention recently disfellowshipped Saddleback Church for, mm-hmm. um, you know, for having people, for having women on their staff. Um, you know, who have a title that includes the word minister. Um, and I, I I, mean, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk with you about this is I certainly expect that to be an issue at the Southern Baptist Convention when it actually does gather this summer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, I think that's right. I think it's, it's going to be, you know, the issue has been has been raised and the issue has been forced. And I think it's important for for people to talk about. And one of, I think one of the consequences here, it's sort of a general observation of human nature, but it's, it's who is in the room determines which questions get asked. And if you perpetually limit circles to all men, for example, in this case, you're missing out on some important perspectives, you know, that that represent large segments of your congregation or your organization or the audience you're trying to reach. And over time, Again, for entirely non-theological reasons, those limitations will hinder and curtail the efforts of your organization. John, so I, um, I mean, I, this is my lived reality. Like I, I have lived this reality in mainline mm-hmm. Christianity, and now in you know in a more evangelical among a more evangelical crowd. And I'll just say that in my personal experience, if you are um, if you're doing the hard work and you're doing good work, I'm not saying that there aren't people who rise up in opposition to you, um, but because there are, um, but I'm a little bit, you know, sort of in the first Peter mode here where, you know what, just keep doing the right thing and just keep, um, don't worry about the naysayers and don't worry about the backstabbers and don't worry about the people who say false things against you. Um, just, just keep being a living demonstration of the gospel as best you can, um, have honest conversations, be hospitable, 
And I mean, I don't I mean, I have conversations with guys on this program who absolutely would never, ever in a million years want me setting foot on their church campus or on the campus of their seminary. (laughs) But they sure do want to come on here and talk about their books and what they're teaching and, and on and on and on. And so I'm 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 like living with an awareness of this reality. And I would say that um, I have so much more freedom as a mm-hmm. person who is not aligned with an institutional reality that, you know, would say it fully celebrates all the giftings of women at every, you know, in, in every way, at every level of institutional authority. Um, I have a whole lot more freedom being a lay person in an evangelical church in terms of ministry than um, than I had as, you know, a person more captive to a system that says it celebrates the gifts of women, but but has then no standard of leadership um, related to gender identity and sexuality and all of those things. So it's a it's a really complex time for women to um, to be speaking and teaching in the area of um, of Christianity right now in America. Mm, yeah, that's a super interesting example from your own situation, and I, I won't be the person to, to try to you know overtalk you about your you know your own experience here for sure. I do wonder though, you know, you've you've carved out, and the organization you work for has carved out a very visible role of of leadership with a degree of power for you that I mean I think is tremendous and is really helping Christians all over this country. And yet, those kinds of roles are not often nurtured in other similar organizations. And so I think that's maybe it's a deficit of opportunity in some cases. Does that does that ring a bell at all or does that register? What do you think? Uh, yeah. Well, and I also think that in terms of of the women who we have named here and we could add to that list, you know, part of it is um they're really competent and very mm-hmm. successful and sometimes yes. it's just about competition and it's just about jealousy. Like I I, I can say that out loud. Sometimes people are just jealous of other people. Right, right. So um, I think it's an issue that, um, particularly if you're listening right now and you've got daughters who, um, you know, God has clearly gifted with particular giftings. Maybe they're very articulate about the things of the faith. Maybe they have a, a deep interest in you know, studying the word of God in the original languages, and then they're going to want to teach others about that. Um, there are going to be some environments where they are more welcome to do that than others. And both John and I are, are on, the, we live in the same place in terms of like, I'm not in the world to change some institutional um, uh, line related to this. I'm not in the world to, you know, have the Presbyterian Church of America or the Southern Baptists or anybody else change their standards in terms of leadership. But you do need to know that the opportunities that are going to be available to you differ based on the rules um, and the lines that have been drawn in various institutional settings. And so just be aware of that um, and be prepared to have those conversations, um, particularly with your girls. You think that's fair, John? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got two daughters myself, and I think about this all the time, and I want them, you know, in the expression of church to see a place where they can see themselves reflected in what's going on in the service and where they can see a a, a, a vision that includes them in the in the work of, of God's kingdom. And I think that's a super important point to make. 
Yeah. Um, for those of you on the text line who are mostly concerned about whether or not women are wearing open-toed shoes when they're teaching, yeah. See, I just think we're... <laughs> <laughs> this is probably not what John and I are prepared to talk about today. Um, John, um, thank you, as always. I love what you're writing. I really appreciated your Q&A with Stanley um, Hauerwas, so I will tee that up for folks as well. It was very person- personal, and so thank you for bringing that forward as well on your Substack. We've been talking with John Inazu. You should check out his Substack at Substack.com. John Inazu, I-N-A-Z-U. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Okay, uh, if you are a Christian and you um, have a church that has church bells... Let me encourage you to be ringing those bells. Maybe you have um, a carillon of church bells that can actually like play songs. Um, you know, it's, I'm going to encourage you to find five or six times during the day to ring those bells. Um, and you say, why? <laughs> because there's no restriction on the ringing of church bells. Um, in terms of noise, noise ordinances in most places across the country during daylight hours. Did you know that? So if your bells in your church are silent, I need you to ask yourself why. Why aren't we ringing those church bells? Um, there's a little tiny little town in northeast Georgia um, where there's a, a, I mean, when I, talk, when I say a tiny church, I'm saying that like it, it looks like a tiny house. It's such a tiny church. But their church bells um, chime on the quarter hour and ring on the half hour and play a verse of a hymn at the top of every hour and during all the daylight hours. There's no reason that your church couldn't be ringing out a testimony and a witness and its own call to prayer, its own call to prayer, um, wherever you are. And so thank you for those of you who have... Um, noted the um, the action of the city of Minneapolis to allow for the Muslim call to prayer um, over you know loudspeakers from mosques across the city five times uh, in the twenty four hour cycle. There's no restriction on you ringing those church bells, um, and so let me just encourage you to like. Uh, instead of saying other people can't have their public profession of faith, actually exercise yours. Like you, you have the freedom to express your religious identity. And so, you know, pay for the installation of a carillon at your church if you don't already have one. Uh, and ring the bells. Ring the bells, my friends. Um, all right. Um, thank you so very much for this time together today. We do have our spring fundraiser coming up next week. I'd love for you to be praying with us in anticipation of that. Have a great day. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.